Chapter Number Thirty Three of As Fodel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. As Fodel by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Chapter Thirty Three is there no grace is there no remedy when the door closed on madeline daphne rose and changed her crumpled muslin for a dressing gown and brushed the bright silky hair and rolled it up in a loose knot at the back of her head and bathed her feverish face and put on a fresh gown and made herself altogether a respectable young person then she seated herself before a dressing-table which was littered all over with trinket-boxes and miscellaneous trifles more or less indispensable to a young lady's happiness she had acquired a large collection of jewellery than is usually possessed by a girl of eighteen there were all madeline's birthday and new year's gifts rings lockets bracelets brooches all in the simplest style as became her youth but all valuable after their kind and there were edgar's presents a broad gold bracelet set with pearls to match her necklace a locket with her own and her lover's initials interwoven in a diamond monogram a diamond and turquoise cross and the engagement ring a half hoop of magnificent opals i wonder why he chose opals mused daphne as she put the ring into the purple velvet case in which it came from the jewellers most people think them unlucky but it seems as if my life was to be overshadowed with omens she put all her lover's presents together and packed them neatly in a sheet of drawing paper the largest and strongest kind of wrapper she could find then when she had lighted her taper and carefully sealed this packet she wrote upon it for edgar with daphne's love a curious way in which to return a jilted lover's gifts then she sat for some time with the rest of her treasures opened out before her on the table where she wrote her letters and finally she wrapped up each trinket separately and wrote on each packet on one for madame tolmache on another for miss toby on a third for martha dibb on a box containing her neatest brooch she wrote for dear old spicer there were others inscribed with other names she forgot no one and then at the last she sat looking dreamily at a little ring the first she had ever worn best loved of all her jewels a single heart-shaped turquoise set in a slender circlet of plain gold madeline had sent it to her on her thirteenth birthday the gold was worn and bent with long use but the stone had kept its color i should like him to have something that was mine she said to herself 
and then she put the ring into a tiny cardboard box and sealed it in an envelope on which she wrote for mr goring this was the last of her treasures except the pearl necklace which she always wore her amulet as she called it and now she put all the neat little packages carefully away in her desk and on the top of them she laid a slip of paper on which she had written if i should die suddenly please let these parcels be given as i have directed this task being accomplished at her leisure and the desk locked she went once more to the open window and looked out at the lake the atmosphere and expression of the scene had changed since she looked at it last the vivid dancing brightness of morning was gone and the mellow light of afternoon touched all things with its pensive radiance the joyousness of the picture had fled its beauty was now more in harmony with daphne's soul while she was standing there in an idle reverie a peremptory tap came at the door come in she answered mechanically without turning her head it was mauser whose severe countenance appeared round the half-open door if you please miss daphne sir vernon wishes to speak to you immediately in his study seldom in daphne's life had such a message reached her sir vernon had not been in the habit of seeking private conferences with his younger daughter he had given her an occasional lecture on passant but however he might have disproved of the flightness of her conduct he had never summoned her to his presence for a scolding in cold blood is there anything wrong she asked hurriedly but mauser had disappeared she went slowly down the broad shallow staircase and to the room which her father had made his private apartment it was one of the best rooms in the house facing the lake and sheltered from the glare of the sun by a couple of magnificent magnolia trees which shaded the lawn in front of the windows it was a large room with a polished floor and pretty swiss furniture carved cabinets and a carved chimney-piece and a little blue china clock set in a garland of carved flowers sir vernon was seated at his writing-table grim stern-looking his open dispatch box before him in the usual official style a little way off sat edgar churchill his folded arms resting on the back of a high chair his face hidden it was the attitude of profound despondency or even of despair one glance at her father's face and then at that lowered head and clenched hands told daphne what was coming you sent for me she faltered standing in the middle of the bare polished floor and looking straight at her father fearlessly for there is a desperate sorrow which knows no fear yes madame replied sir vernon in his severest voice i sent for you to tell you in the presence of the man who was to have been your husband that your abdominal treachery has been discovered 
i am not treacherous she answered only miserable the most miserable girl that ever lived edgar lifted up his face and looked at her with such a depth of tender reproachfulness with such ineffable pity as made his homely countenance altogether beautiful i hoped i should have made you happy he said god knows i have tried hard enough she neither answered nor looked at him her eyes were fixed upon her father solemn tearless eyes a marble passionless face she stood motionless as if awaiting judgment you are the falsest and vilest girl that ever lived retorted sir vernon perhaps i ought hardly to be surprised at that your mother was for god's sake spare her cried edgar huskily stretching out his arm as if to ward off a blow and the word on sir vernon's lips remained unspoken that is no fault of hers let her bear her own burden she ought to find it heavily enough if she has a heart or a conscience cried sir vernon passionately but i don't believe she has either if she had a shred of self-respect or common gratitude or honor or womanly feeling she would not have stolen her sister's lover i did not steal him answered daphne resultly his heart came to me of its own accord we both fought hard against fate and even now there is no harm done it has been only a foolish fancy of mr goring he will forget all about it when i am far away i will never look in his face again i will go to the utmost end of the earth on my grave rather than stand between him and madeline oh father you have always been so hard with me do you remember that day at south hill directly after mr goring came home when i begged you on my knees to send me back to school in france or germany anywhere so that i should be far away from my happy home and from him her tears came at this bitter memory yes she had fought the good fight but so vainly to such little purpose i know that i was weak she sobbed and i wanted to be saved from myself but i am not so wicked as you think i never tried to steal mr goring's heart i have never imagined the possibility of my being in any way the gainer by his inconsistency i have told myself always that his love for me was a passing folly of which he would be cured as a man is cured of a fever i do not know what you have been told about him and me or who is your informant but if you have been told the truth you must know that i have been true to my sister even in my misery my informant saw you and mr goring's arms my informant heard his avowal of love and your promise to run away with him and be married at geneva it is false 
I made no such promise. I never meant to marry him. I would die a hundred deaths rather than injure Madeline. I am glad you know the truth, and you, Edgar, I have tried to love you, my poor dear. I have prayed that I might become attached to you and be a good wife to you in the days to come. I have been honest. I have been loyal. Ask Mr. Goring by and by if it is not so. He knows, and only he can know the truth. Father, Madeline need never be told that her lover has wavered. She must not know. Do you understand? She must not. It would break her heart. It would kill her. He will forget me when I am far away, gone out of his sight for ever. He will forget me, and the old holier true love will return in all its strength and purity. All this pain and folly will seem no more to him than a feverish dream. Pray do not let her know. Do you think I would do her so great a wrong as to let her marry a traitor, a false-hearted scoundrel who can smile in her face and make love to her sister behind her back? She is a little too good to have your leavings foisted upon her. If you tell her, you will break her heart. That will lie at your door. I would rather see her in her coffin than married to a villain. Edgar rose slowly from his seat and moved toward the door. He had nothing to do with this discussion. His mind could hardly enter into the question of Gerald Goring's treachery. It was Daphne who betrayed him, Daphne who had deceived him and mocked him with sweet words, Daphne whose liking had seemed more precious to him than any other woman's love, because he believed that no other man had ever touched the virginal unwakened heart and now he was told that she could love passionately and she could give kiss for kiss and rain tears upon a lover's breast and from first to last he had been her victim and her dupe good-bye daphne he said very quietly i'm going home as fast as train and boat can take me I would have been contented to accept something less than your love, believing that I should win your heart in time, but not to take a wife whose heart belonged to another man. You told me there was no one else. You told me your heart was free. I told you there was no one else who had ever cared for me, faltered Daphne, remembering her equivalenting answer that evening at south hill i don't want to reproach you daphne i am very sorry for you and i am very sorry that an honest man whom i respect should have been fooled by a worthless girl said sir vernon give him back his engagement ring understand that all is over between you and him he added turning to his daughter I wish it to be so. 
i have put all your presents together in a parcel edgar answered daphne you will receive them in due course it is best to be off with the old love before we are on with the new quoted sir vernon scornfully and she says she did not mean to run away with goring in spite of this deliberate preparation edgar was gone daphne and her father were alone the girl still standing on the very spot where she had stood when she first came into the room i have told you nothing but the truth she said why are you so hard with me hard with you he echoed getting up from before his desk and looking at her with vindictive eyes as he moved slowly towards the door how can i be hard enough to you you have broken my daughter's heart father she cried falling on her knees and clinging to him in her despair father is she to have all your love have you no tenderness no pity left for me am i not your daughter too your mother was my wife he answered curtly pushing her out of his way as he passed from the room he was gone she knelt where he had left her a desolate figure in a spacious bright-looking room the afternoon sun making golden bars upon the brown floor her yellow hair touched here and there with glistenings of yellow light she remained in the same attitude for some minutes her heavy eyelids drooping over tearless eyes her arms hanging listlessly her hands loosely clasped her mind for a little while was a blank and then there came into it unaware of verse taken at random from a familiar hymn the trials that beset you the sorrows ye endure the manifold temptations that death alone can cure that death alone can cure she repeated slowly pushing back the loose hair from her eyes and then she rose from her knees and went out through an open window into the garden it was about five o'clock there was a look of exquisite repose over all the scene from the snow-bound summit of the dent du midi yonder down to the gardens that edged the lake like a garland of summer flowers encircling that peerless blue it was a bright glad-looking world and passing peaceful of savoy the everlasting glaciers gliding with impalpable motion in obedience to some mysterious law which is still one of nature's secrets the wilderness of snow-clad peaks and wild moraines the gulfs and caverns the unfathomable abysses of silence and death daphne thought of these unseen regions with a thrill of awe as she walked slowly down the slope of the lawn i have seen so little of switzerland after all she said to herself so little of this wide wonderful world she went to the toy chalet 
the dainty opera stage boathouse where her boat was kept there was no friendly bank here to launch the skiff for her but the lower part of the boathouse jutted out over the gable and the boat was always bobbing about in the limpid water she had only to go down the wooden steps unmoor her boat and row away over that wide stretch of placid water where she had never seen disturbed by a tempest as she was stepping into the boat the dog monk came bounding and leaping across the grass and bounced into her arms putting his huge forefeet on her shoulders and sweeping an affectionate tongue over her pallid face he had not seen her since her return from the hills and was wild with rapture at the idea of reunion no monk not to-day she said gently as he tried to get into the boat with her not to-day dear faithful old monk the huge creature could have upset the boat with one bound and the little hand stretched out to push him back must have been as a fluttering rose-leaf against his sinewy breast but there was a moral force in the blanched face and the steady eye which dominated his brute power he recoiled and lifted up his head with a plaintive howl as the boat shot off the twin sails the white and scarlet awning flashing in the sun a little way from the shore daphne paused resting on her oars and looking back at the bright garden with its roses and magnolias and many-coloured flower-beds the white villa gay with its crimson-striped blinds and then with one gaze she looked round the lovely landscape the long range of hills in all their infinite variety of light and shadow verdant slopes streaked with threads of glittering water vineyards and low gray walls rising terrace above terrace quaint vivae and great old children the black gorge that lets in the turbid rhone churches with square towers and ivory-covered walls and yonder the exorable mountains of savoy for a little while her eye took in every detail of the scene and then it all melted from her troubled gaze and she saw not that grand alpine chain showing cloud-like amid the clouds but the brown avon and its dipping willows the low warwickshire hills and village gables the distant spire of stratford above the many-arched bridge the water meadows at south hill and the long fringe of yellow daffodils waving in the march wind oh for the reedy banks and shallow reaches of the avon she thought her heart yearning for home then with a bowed head she bent over her oars and the light boat shot away across the wake of a passing steamer it shot away far away to the middle of the lake it vanished like a feather blown by a summer breeze and it never came back again 
the empty boat drifted ashore at evian in the gray light of morning while gerald goring with a couple of swiss boatmen was rowing about the lake stopping to make inquiries at every landing place sending scouts in every direction its quest of that missing craft no one ever knew no one dared to guess how it had happened but everyone knew that in some dark spot below that deep blue water daphne was at rest the dog had been down by the boathouse all night howling fitfully through the dark silent hours he had not left the spot since daphne's boat glided away from the steps it had been a night of anguish and terror for all that household at montreux a night of agitation of alternations of hope and fear even sir vernon who profoundly moved by anxiety about the daughter to whom he had given so little of his love he knew that he had been hard and merciless in that last interview he had thought only of madeline and the knowledge that madeline had been wronged that the elder sister's love had been tempted to falsehood by the arts and coqueries of the younger sister had strung him to a frenzy of anger nothing could be too bad for the ingrate who had sinned against the best of sisters he was too hard a man to give the sinner the benefit of the doubt and to believe that she had sinned unconsciously in his mind daphne had wickedly and deliberately corrupted the heart of her sister's affianced husband angry as he had felt with gerard his indignation against the weaker vessel was fiercer than his wrath against the stronger mauser had told her story with truth as to the main facts but with such embellishments and heightened colouring as made daphne appear the boldest and most deprived of her sex in mauser's version of the scene in that pine wood there was no hint of temptation resisted of a noble soul struggling with an unworthy passion of a tender heart trying to be faithful to sisterly affection while every impulse of a passionate love tugged the other way all mauser could tell was that miss daphne had sobbed in mr goring's arms that he had kissed her as she mauser had never been kissed although she had kept company and been on the brink of marriage with a builder's foreman and that they had talked of being married at geneva leastways mr goring had asked miss daphne to run away with him for that purpose and that she had not said no but had only begged him to give her twenty-four hours naturally requiring that time to pack her clothes and make all needful preparation for flight passionately attached to his elder daughter and always ready to think of evil daphne sir vernon needed no confirmation of mauser's story it was only the realization of what he always feared 
the mother's falsehood showing itself in the daughter hereditary baseness it was the girl's nature to betray she had all her mother's outward graces and too fascinating prettiness how could he have hoped that she would have any higher notions of truth and honor moved to deepest wrath at the wrong done to madeline sir vernon's first impulse had been to send for gerald goring in order to come to an immediate understanding with that offender he was told that mr goring had gone to geneva and was not expected home before eight o'clock he then sent for edgar and to that unhappy lover bluntly and almost brutally related the story of daphne's baseness edgar was inclined to disbelieve nay even to laugh mauser's slander to scorn but mauser summoned to a second interview stuck resolutely to her text and was not to be shaken i can't believe it faltered edgar stricken to the heart unless i hear it from her own lips go and fetch her said sir vernon to mauser and then had followed daphne's appearance and those admissions of hers which told edgar only too clearly how he had been deceived the two men gerald and edgar passed each other on the railway between lausanne and geneva edgar on his way to the city gerald going back to montreux mr goring wondered at seeing his friend's pale face glide slowly by as the two trains crossed at the junction it looks as if she had given him his quietus already he said to himself my brave little daphne he was going back to montreux with his heart full of hope and gladness he had taken all the needful measures at geneva to make his marriage with daphne an easy matter would she but consent to marry him and he had no doubt of her consent could a girl love as she loved and obstinately withhold herself from her lover he forgot the pain he must inflict on one who had been so dear he forgot the woman who had been the guiding star of his boyhood and youth forgot everything except that one consummate bliss which he longed for the triumph of a passionate love that crowd of life once snatched from reluctant fate all other things would come right in time madeline's gentle nature would forgive a wrong which was the work of destiny rather than of man's falsehood sir vernon would be angry and unpleasant no doubt but gerald goring cared very little about sir vernon the world would wonder but gerald cared nothing for the world he only desired daphne and daphne's love having all other things which life looked at from the worldling's standpoint could give the sun was setting as he approached montreux and all the lake was clothed in golden light rose-hued mountains golden water smiled at him as if in welcome what a lovely world it is he said to himself 
and how happy Daphne and I will be in it, in spite of fate and metaphysical aid. There I go, quoting the inevitable, as usual. He walked quickly from the station to the villa, eager to see Daphne, to hear her voice, to touch the warm, soft hand, and be assured that there was such a being, and that he had not been the dupe of some vision of intangible loveliness, as Shelley's Alastor was in the cavern. That last look of Daphne's haunted him, so direct, so solemn a gaze, so unlike the shy glance of conscious love. Nay, it resembled rather the look of some departed spirit, returning from Pluto's drearer abode to take the last fond farewell of the living. The vestibule stood open to the road, an outer hall filled with plants and flowers, an airy Indian-looking entrance. Gerald walked straight in and to the drawing-room. It was striking eight as he entered. "'I hope you won't wait for me,' he began, looking round for Daphne. "'I am a dusty object.' and I don't think I can make myself presentable under twenty minutes. The train dwaddled abominably. Mrs. Ferrers and Madeline were standing by the open window, looking out. Lena turned, and at the first glimpse of her pale face, Gerald knew that there was something wrong. There had been a scene, perhaps between the sisters, Daphne had betrayed herself and him. Well, the truth must be told very soon now. It was, it were best to precipitate matters. We are frightened about Daphne, said Lena. She went out in her boat a little before five. The gardener saw her leave, and she has not come back yet. Three hours. It was long but she was fond of solitary excursions on the lake. I don't think there is much cause for alarm in that, he said, trying to speak lightly, yet with a strange terror in his heart. Shall I get a boat and go out after her? I had better, perhaps. She cannot be very far off, dawdling about by Shilton, I dare say. These dank stone walls have a fascination for her. Yes, I shall be glad if you don't mind going. My father seems uneasy. It is so strange that she should stay away three hours without leaving word where she was going. Edgar is out. My aunt and I have not known what to do. And when i told my father just now he looked dreadfully alarmed i will go this instant and not come back till i have found her answered gerard huskily that last look of daphne's was in his mind that never to be forgotten look from the her dark eyes lifted fearlessly with sad and steady gaze oh god did i mean farewell he was out on the lake all night with two of the most experienced boatmen in the district 
and it was only in the grey of morning that he heard of the empty boat blown ashore a little below evian evian where they had landed so merrily once from the same cockle-shell boat on a sunny morning for a pilgrimage to a drowsy village on the hills a cluster of picturesque homesteads sheltered by patriarchal walnut and chestnut trees were looking down through the rich foliage they saw the blue lake below the evening had been calm there had been no accident nor collision of any kind on the lake the little boat showed no sign of injury it lay on the shilling shore just as the fisherman had pulled it in an empty boat that was all gerald stayed at evian and from evian wrote briefly to madeline telling her all my life for the last six months has been a tissue of lies he wrote and yet god knows i have tried to be true and honest just as she tried but she with more purpose yes poor child with much more fidelity than mine i wanted to tell you the truth when we were at freiburg to make an end of all shame and deceptions but she would not let me she meant to hold to her bond with edgar to be true to you she would have persevered in this to the end if i had let her but i would not and she has died rather than do you a wrong it is my guilt mine alone the brand of cain is on me and like cain i shall be a wanderer till i die i do not ask you to forgive me for i shall never forgive myself or to pity me for mine is a grief which pity cannot touch if i could hope that you could ever forget me there would be comfort in the thought but i dare not hope for that you might forget your false lover but how can you forget daphne's murderer to this letter madeline answered briefly you have broken my sister's heart and mine a little honesty a little truth would have spared us both you might have been happy in your own way and i might have kept my sister you are right i can neither forget nor forgive i thought till this trouble came upon me that i was a christian i know now god help me how far i am away from christian feeling all i can hope or pray about you is that we two may never see each other's faces again i send you daphne's legacy enclosed in the letter was the little packet containing the turquoise ring with for mr goring written on the cover in daphne's dashing penmanship the hand had not trembled though the heart bit beat high when that superscription was penned sir vernon stayed at montreux for more than a month after that fatal summer day though the very sight of lake and mountain in their ex 
incorporeal beauty so remote from all human trouble or human pity was terrible to him madeline urged him to stay there were hours in which after many tears and many prayers faint gleams of hope visited her sorrowful soul daphne might not be dead she might have landed unnoticed at one of those quiet villages and made her way to some distant place where she could live hidden and unknown those farewell gifts left in her desk must needs mean a deliberate departure but they need not mean death she might be hiding somewhere little knowing the agony she was inflicting on those who had loved her fearing only to be found and taken home madeline could fancy her sister self-sacrificing enough to live apart from home and kindred all her days to earn her bread in a stranger's house oh if it were thus only and not that other and awful fate a young life flung away in its flower a young soul going forth unbidden to meet god's judgment burden with the deadly sin of self-murder let us stay a few days longer father she pleaded we may hear something there may be some good news god grant that it may be so answered sir vernon without a ray of hope what of his remorse whose hardness had pressed so heavily upon his child in that last hour of her brief life whose bitter words had perhaps confirmed the sinner in her desperate resolve making it very clear to her that this earth held no peaceful heaven that for her there was no fatherly breast on which she could pour out the story of her weakness and her struggle no friend with the father's sacred name from whom she could ask counsel or seek protection alone in her misery she had sought the one refuge which remained for her death believing that by fatal deed she would secure her sister's peace her heart will return to its truer nobler love when i am gone she said to herself poor shallow soul unsustained by any deep sense of religion or by any firm principle tender heart strong in unquestioning fidelity it was easy to follow out the train of false reasoning which made her believe that death would be best that in throwing away her fair young life she was making a sacrifice to love and honor they remained at montreux till the beginning of october till autumnal tints were stealing over the landscape and the happy vintage time had begun making all those gentle slopes alive with picturesque figures every turn in the road a scene for a painter it was a dreary time for madeline and her father edgar was with them called back from geneva by a telegram on the night of daphne's disappearance he like his rival had been unwary in his endeavor to obtain some knowledge of daphne's fate 
he had been from village to village had made his inquiries at every landing place along the lake had availed himself of every local intelligence but all to no purpose one of the vevey boatmen had seen daphne's light skiff as she rowed swiftly towards the middle of the lake he saw the little boat dancing in the wake of a steamer watched it and its girl owner till it floated into smooth water and then saw the boat never more there had been no reason for an accident upon that particular afternoon no sudden gust of wind no mysterious rising of the lake nothing in a sultry calm the little boat had last been seen gliding smoothly over the smooth blue water had she rowed to the end of the lake where the tumultuous rhone rushes in from the rocky st maurice and been swamped by those turbid waters who could tell the stranded boat bore no sign of having been under the water the time came when they must go back when to remain any longer by the lake seemed mere foolishness a persistent brooding upon morrow more especially as sir vernon's health had become much worse since this calamity had fallen upon him and a change of some kind was imperative aunt rhoda had gone home a week after the fatal day though to the last expressing herself willing to remain and comfort madeline you are very kind aunt but you could not comfort me you did not care for her lena answered with a touch of bitterness so mrs frere's aggrieved at this rebuff had gone back to her rector whom she found more painfully affected by daphne's evil fate than she thought consistent with his clerical character i shall never look at the garden in summer time without thinking of that bright face and girlish figure flitting about among the roses as i have seen her in the days that are gone he said a man of my age is uncomfortably reminded of his shortening lease of life when the young are taken before him and now that bitter day came upon which madeline was obliged to leave the banks of the fatal lake and turn her face homewards to south hill south hill without daphne without gerard those two familiar figures gone out of her life for ever the house empty of laughter and gladness for ever more all the sweetest things of life prove false every hope crushed every possibility of future happiness gone from her for ever she could imagine no new hopes no fresh beginning of life to do her duty to an invalid father to use her ample fortune for the comfort and advantage of the friendliness and the needy was all that remained to her a narrow round of daily tasks not less monotonous than the humblest chars because she wore a silk gown and lived in a fine house so far her prayer had been granted 
she and gerald goring had never met since daphne's death he had been heard of at evian and at vevey but none of the south hill people had seen him edgar went back with them a man so changed by grief that it would be hard for the mother who had seen him go forth in strength and gladness of happy youth to recognize the haggard hopeless countenance of the son who returned to her he had borne his trouble bravely asking comfort from no one anxious to console others whenever consolation seemed possible he had tried his best to persuade madeline that daphne's boat had been overturned by the current that the sweet young life had been lost by accident those carefully sealed packets in the desk hinted at a darker doom yet it might be that they had been prepared by daphne under some vague idea of leaving home in order to escape the difficulties of her position an intention to be carried out at some indefinite time hawkyard in the autumn with white vapors stealing over the low meadows at sunrise and sunset with the large leaves of the walnut trees drifting heavily down seemed a fitting place for a man to nurse his grief and meditate upon the greatness of his loss edgar roamed about the gardens and the fields like an unquiet spirit or rode for long hours in the lonely lanes keeping as much as possible aloof from all who knew him even the approach of the hunting season gave him no pleasure i shall not hunt this year he told his mother indeed i doubt if i shall ever follow the hounds again don't say that edgar cried mrs turchill plaintively wretched as i am every day you are out with the hounds i should be more miserable if you were to deprive yourself of your favorite amusement but you will think differently next october i hope dear it isn't natural for young people to go on grieving forever it isn't mother asked her son bitterly it isn't natural for a watch to stop when its mainspring is broken the application of this inquiry was beyond mrs torchill so she made no attempt to answer it she had been very good to her son since his sorrowful home-coming not tormenting him with futile consolations but offering him that silent sympathy which has always healing in it of daphne's fate she knew no more than that the girl had gone out on the lake one sunny afternoon and had never come back again the announcement in the times had said accidentally drowned in the lake of geneva and mrs turchill had never thought of seeking to know more but she was much exercised in her mind as the autumn wore into winter at the prolonged absence of gerald goring why does not mr goring come back she inquired of edgar 
i should think poor miss lawford must need his society now more than ever it is natural that the wedding should be postponed for a few months but mr goring ought not to be away that engagement is broken off mother her son answered briefly broken off but why i can't tell you that concerns no one but miss lawford and mr goring don't trouble about it mother at any other time mrs turchill would have troubled very much about such a piece of intelligence would have insisted upon knowing the rights and wrongs of the matter and of expating upon it at her leisure but her respect for edgar's grief made her very discreet saying that the subject was painful to him she had no more about it no more to him that is to say but very much more to deborah whom she discoursed freely upon the extraordinary fact delicately suggesting that as deborah was on intimate terms with the upper servants at south hill she would no doubt hear all the ins and outs of the story in due time i should be the last person to encourage gossip remarked the matron with dignity but there are some things which people cannot help talking about especially where a young lady is as much beloved and respected as miss lawford deborah went to south hill on her next sunday out and drank tea in the housekeeper's room where mrs spicer though unable to speak with dry eyes of miss daphne was nevertheless much interested in the fit and fashion of her black gown the quality of which deborah both appraised and admired but mrs spicer only knew that miss lawford's engagement was broken off she knew nothing as to the why and the wherefore but she surmised somewhat vaguely that miss lawford had turned against mr goring after her sister's death only one of the south hill servants could have explained the cause of that cancelled engagement and she had been dismissed with a handsome pension and had gone to live in the outskirts of birmingham with her own kith and kin sir vernon could never endure the presence of the faithful mauser after daphne's death you did your duty according to your lights i have no doubt he said when he sent her away but i can never look at you without regretting that you did not hold your tongue you have told miss lawford nothing about that scene in the pinewood i hope mauser protested that she would have had her tongue cut out rather than speak one such word to her mistress i am glad of that she knows too much already enough to make her life miserable we must spare her what pain we can mauser assented with a convulsion of her elderly throat which looked like a repressed sob the pension promised was liberal but it was a hard thing to be dismissed to be told that life at south hill could not be carried on without her i don't know what miss lawford will do when i am gone she faltered tearfully 
i am used to her ways and she is used to mine a strange maid will seem like an antelope to her sir vernon stared but did not deign to discuss the probabilities as to his daughter's feelings he ordered jinman who on the strength of knowing two or three dozen substantives in french and italian considered himself an accomplished linguist to conduct miss mauser to geneva and to book her through so far as it was possible to her native shores he felt that he could breathe more freely when that evil presence was out of the house she provoked me to torture that poor child to her last hour upon earth he thought she maddened me with the idea that lena's lover had been stolen from her end of chapter thirty three recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c